And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not rise, raise him in, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptised for the dead, for all, why are... Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human ropes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just the seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There is also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man, man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of the heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be charged in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that it is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Just turn my microphone on properly. Uh, One of the pastors here, um, and we're going to be reading or thinking through that passage that we've just read. So let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that uh, in it you speak to us of great truths of the gospel, uh, of the things that we need to know for salvation and in order to live in a right relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you would teach us those things now, that you would stir our hearts, that you would fix our eyes on eternity. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, I'm a uh, terrible long-distance runner. Uh, whenever I was at school, uh, I'd, be the, I'd be dead last whenever we did cross-country. Uh, at one time, I uh, was running the cross-country and I tripped over a chain that was about two inches off the ground. I uh, don't know how that happened. The, the fortunate thing was I got to retire hurt. <laughs> I love sprinting, but asked me to run uh, more than 200 metres and I would collapse in a heap. Uh, and part of that, obviously, was a lack of physical fitness... Uh, But part of it, I suspect, too, was just a complete lack of motivation to keep going. What was the point of running cross-country? If you're at school, of course, it has a great, great importance, so please keep running. running. Uh, uh, But a lack of motivation is hard when you're trying to run a long race. Uh, In the Bible, it often compares the Christian life to a long race. Uh, And its focus is not so much on winning or losing, thankfully... Its focus, rather, is on staying in the race. Uh, We've got to make it to the end. And just like in a real running race, just like in the cross country or a marathon or whatever it is, just like that takes great determination, in the same way, staying in the race of the Christian life for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long, staying in the race requires not just spiritual fitness, but also motivation. It requires a goal, it requires determination to get to the end. And in many ways, that's what this passage today is about. It's about the resurrection, but it's not just about the fact of the resurrection. Wow, isn't it really nice to know that uh, those in Christ will be raised to life? It's great to know. It's not just about the fact of the resurrection, but it's about how the resurrection motivates us to continue. At the heart of the Christian message we saw last week is this news that Jesus has risen from the dead. It happened in history, and if that's true, then that changes everything. 
If it's not true, there's no point. But if it is true, it changes everything. So here in this passage, God wants to convince us of that truth of the resurrection and show us how it shapes and drives and motivates our life. So as I said, last week we saw in the first part of this chapter that Paul wanted to remind the Corinthians of the core message of Christianity, that Jesus died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to life according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by many witnesses. But what was the reason he wanted to remind them of that? Well, it seems that one of the key reasons was that the Christians in Corinth had begun to doubt the truth of the resurrection. Now, what's interesting was, uh, is they, they didn't begin to doubt so much the truth of Jesus' resurrection. They were kind of pretty much on that page. What they had begun to doubt was the general resurrection of those who belonged to Jesus. So they were like, yep, okay, sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but they didn't really seem to have a place for the resurrection at the end of time when Jesus comes to gather his people. That becomes clear in verse 12 where, where Paul says to them, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, it's not clear why the Corinthians were beginning to say Jesus has been raised, but we don't think that we will be raised as well. Uh, it's not 100% clear why that is, although later in verse 35, it seems that part of the issue was that they were struggling to understand what the resurrection body would be like. So, you know, that often happens to us. If we can't understand the mechanics of how something works, we can begin to doubt whether or not it, it, it really is true or not. And so they're like, oh, I can't imagine how the resurrection actually physically works. And so therefore they'd begun to sort of maybe put it aside. But in the rest of this chapter, Paul wants to show that's not right. Uh, there is a resurrection, not just Jesus' resurrection. There is a re resurrection for those who trust in Jesus. The first argument that he makes to demonstrate that is in verse 13, where he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. There's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, that might seem a very strange way to you of arguing. Uh, you know, normally we would say the other, the other way round, you know, that is, if there's no resurrection of Jesus, then there's no resurrection of the dead. Uh, but that's not what Paul's arguing. He said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't been raised. The reason that Paul can argue like that is because... Those two things are intimately connected. If Jesus has been raised, then his people must be raised too. The two go hand in glove. They go together. For Paul, Jesus' resurrection uh, is what he calls in verse 20, the first fruits. Now, I planted snow peas this year. Second year running. I had a great crop of snow peas last year. Thought I'd plant some snow peas again. Uh, and I planted them and they you know, took a while to come up and then they all of a sudden looked very leafy and sort of very vigorous and all that kind of thing. But there wasn't much in the way of fruit. I thought, oh, you know, maybe not much is going to happen here. Maybe I've done something wrong. I'm not really the greatest gardener in the world. And I sort of, you know, sort of forgot about them and maybe, maybe I lost hope as well, just, just to be honest. But, but then one day I went out and just out of nowhere there was this tiny little snow pea, you know, just, just one. And I thought, oh, 
there you go, there's a snow bean. I thought, well, that's hardly going to feed a family. Uh, but maybe, but maybe you know, there'll be others. Within a couple of days, I swear, the tree was just covered in snow peas. Just all of a sudden, it just exploded. That first little snow pea was a sign of things to come. A snow pea, it's not the purpose of a snow pea just to, to, to bear one fruit, but to bear a whole lot of fruit. And in the same way, it's true, that's true, Paul says, of the resurrection God's purpose in raising Jesus from the dead was not simply so that one person could be raised. What's the point of that? Jesus had been raised from the dead. Wow, great for him. Paul says if Jesus has been raised, then those who belong to him will be raised as well. Jesus is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee then of a resurrection of others. It's the first of many. A similar metaphor that Paul uses here and in other places in the New Testament is of Jesus as the new Adam. So the comparison works like this. Just as all of us, when we're born into the world, we bear the same fate as Adam, that is, we die. Adam sinned, brought death into the world, and everyone who's descended from him also dies. That's ironclad. In the same way, Jesus is like a kind of a new Adam. He's like the, the mirror image. Uh, he's like the good Adam. And just as he has been raised to life, everyone who's connected in with him, everyone who's been born again through his resurrection life, is 100% guaranteed to be raised to life as well. Just as we're born into this world dead like Adam, if we belong to Jesus, we're 100% guaranteed guaranteed to be raised to life again as well as well you can't have one without the other you can't have the resurrection of jesus without the resurrection of his people the two go hand in glove and so paul hangs everything on the truth the historical truth of the resurrection of jesus if that's happened then that changes absolutely everything if christ has been raised from the dead that changes everything about our world and everything about our life. On the other hand, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then that changes everything about Christianity. It's where to be pitied, he says, more than all men. So imagine that you were training for a marathon for a great race. Maybe it's the New York Marathon or something like that, one of those great great marathons around the world. You're training for it. You spend your life training for it for this this day when you'll finally compete, you have high hopes uh, for where you'll place. Uh, you've got, you know, maybe you're even hoping to win. You train and you train and you train, and then finally comes the day, you turn up there, you compete, only to discover there's no competition, there's no prize, there's no trophy, there's nothing. It was all, it was all a hoax. No New York Marathon. Paul says the same is true of Christianity without the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then all of the Christian life, Christianity, is a waste of time. And so it's worth asking ourselves the question, are we convinced that Christ really rose from the dead? 
Are we really convinced that historically Christ, the Son of God, died, was buried and rose to life again? Are you convinced that that's true? Because if you're not convinced that it's true, if it didn't happen, then we're wasting our time here. We may as well just go home. We may as well just start up indoor soccer club or something like that. Think of all the people that we've sent to other parts of the world who are living in other parts of the world in difficult circumstances. They're wasting their time if Christ has not been raised from the dead. What's the point? Think of all the money that we spend in keeping this church going. Think of all the time that people commit to doing various things. It's a waste of time if Christ has not been raised from the dead. As Paul says in verse 32, we may as well eat, drink and be merry. Let's just have a big party. Let's have lots of parties. Live it up. If there's no resurrection then all that matters is this life, today, tomorrow, however long you have. Make the most of it. But the flip side of that is that if it is true, if as you think about it, as you investigate the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, if as you investigate that, you think to yourself, no, this this absolutely happened... Jesus, the Son of God, he died, he was raised to life again. If that is true, that changes everything. Look at what Paul says in verse 30. He says, if there's no resurrection, why do we endanger ourselves every day? I face death every day, he says. There's no resurrection. All that matters is this life. Why would, you, why would you bother? But if the resurrection is true, Paul says, that completely reconfigures my life. Because this life isn't all that matters. It doesn't matter if I die tomorrow. It doesn't matter if I go to another country and face death or imprisonment for the sake of Christ, to make Christ known. It doesn't matter if I do that doesn't matter if I face hardship today in living for Christ. It doesn't matter if I do that. In fact, not only does it not matter, it's positively valuable. What doesn't matter is, is all the things that we live for in this life that are coming to an end. Those things don't matter. The resurrection of Christ is true. It changes everything. And so the question is, do you believe that the resurrection is true? Did it really happen? And if it happened, does your life reflect how that changes everything? Is the motto of your life, let us eat to drink, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die? Get all the, cram all the experiences in today and tomorrow and this year and next year because if we don't, We'll never, we'll, you know, life is meaningless. Is that the motto of your life? Or is the motto of your life shaped by the resurrection of Jesus? I endure hardship every day for the sake of Christ. 
How would it change your life if you knew that you would die tomorrow and then live for eternity, be raised and live for eternity? What would you do differently? What would you value? You know, you probably... The things that you aspire to would look radically different. The advertisements, the things that other people have that you see would, would not matter at all. The new car, the new house, the ultimate holiday, staying up all night to get your work done, flogging yourself to death for the sake of promotion and advancement and a, and a higher salary. Those things wouldn't matter anymore. How would it change your life if you knew that tomorrow one of your friends or one of your children or one of your, or one of your parents would die and face God? The resurrection isn't true. It doesn't matter. Live it up. But if it is true, it changes everything. Everything that we live for, everything that our world lives for, doesn't matter. So first of all, Paul argues that, that if Christ has been raised, then there's a resurrection of believers and that changes everything. Next he goes on to address one of the issues that, at the heart of their misunderstanding and that is, in verse 40, 35 he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So it appears, as I said before, that they couldn't understand, the Corinthians couldn't understand the mechanics of the resurrection, and so they doubted the resurrection itself. So some of the questions might have been things like this, you know, if someone dies by having their head cut off, you know, how are they going to be raised from the dead? These are the kinds of questions, they're the kinds of questions that people ask in Sunday school and in youth group and even in theological college. People ask questions like that, or if someone is disabled, in this life, what kind of body will they be raised with? We, we struggle maybe to understand the mechanics of it, and so we think, well, it can't possibly be true. But Paul says that's a silly question, and he likens the situation between the re- with the resurrection between uh, he likens it to the situation between a seed and a plant. So he says, more or less, he says, you don't plant a seed and then a seed grows. That would be a bit weird. I mean, a seed grows eventually, right? But, you know, that's not the first step. Uh, you don't plant a plant, so you don't, get a, you don't get another plant and then dig a hole and bury the plant in the ground and then get a new plant. Well, unless it's a potato or something like that. But anyway, you get the point. Uh, this, in the same way, you don't plant a giant pumpkin seed and get a lettuce, unless you're particularly unfortunate. Uh, and if you use compost or something like that, or whatever it is, and uh, random things grow. But the point is that the seed is, is, is the initial thing, the plant is what grows out of it, uh, and there is this correlation between the seed that you plant and the plant that grows. And Paul says, well, it's the same with our physical body now and our resurrection body. God gives to each thing he says a body just as he determines. So some think, so fish he's given fish-like bodies to. Uh, you know, donkeys he's given donkey-like bodies to. And so on, people he's given human bodies to. 
Uh, and God has done that just as he determines. And in the same way, God will also give to each person in the resurrection a body, a unique body, just as he determines, but a body that will correlate with this existing body. So it won't be, you won't plant a human body, if you like, and then get a cat, uh, you know, or you won't turn into a pumpkin in the resurrection. Rather, our resurrection bodies will be like this body, but somehow different. How will they be different? Well, Paul tells us in verse verses 42 to 44, he says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. So the key differences that Paul picks up on between this body and the resurrection body are that it will be raised imperishable, that it will be glorious, that it will be powerful, and that it will be spiritual. So four, four differences. Spiritual doesn't mean uh, like ethereal or you know, kind of vapoury and non-physical, but spiritual means, if you like, to be energised and directed by the spirit. So the difference between spiritual and natural is not, you know, a real body that you can touch um, and floating on a cloud. The difference is between a body uh, now that's driven by all kinds of things that are not spiritual uh, to one that is actually driven by the spirit of God. The great Christian hope is a physical resurrection from the dead. It's not that we become spirits floating around, but rather that we are raised from the dead into a world that has been rescued and remade by God. And Paul says in that world, in that resurrection, we will be imperishable, glorious, powerful and spiritual. So right now we have bodies that are perishable. They're falling apart. The older you get, the more aches and pains that you notice. You might have a dodgy hip or a bad shoulder. I have a friend who's considerably younger than me and, you know, has always been very fit but is now beginning to realise that uh, even in early 20s, you know, like he's, he's just not, you know, there are just things that are not working like they used to. Some of you who are older, older like me, you know, will, will know that that's just true, that our bodies begin to fall apart. I remember a friend of mine once said to me that it's the first time that people really face the limitations of their physical body, it, they have a kind of a crisis. You know, often maybe it happens in their late 30s or 40s or something like that, you face a genuine bodily struggle. And it's, it's a real crisis because we think that we're imperishable, but we're not. Our bodies are falling apart. Right now, too, we have bodies that are dishonourable. That is, they're marred by sin. Sin pollutes everything we do. We don't love other people as we should. Uh, even those people who are dearest to us, even those that we've maybe committed to loving in marriage, we don't love them as we should. We're selfish, we're greedy, we're proud, we're arrogant. We get angry with other people. We have 
inglorious bodies. One day, Paul says, we will have glorious bodies. We'll be free from every spot or blemish of sin. We'll have perfect love, perfect contentment, perfect generosity. We'll be perfect in every way. Right now we have bodies that are weak. We're limited. We're incapable sometimes of things that we should be able to do or we think that we should be able to do. You know, maybe you can't open jars anymore. You know, you used to be able to do that and now you can't. And maybe you live on your own and that's a real struggle because there's no one to ask to help you. Maybe you can't even bend down and tie up your own shoes. Maybe you struggle to learn. You sit in class at school and nothing makes sense. Maybe you struggle to sleep. Maybe your body bears the scars of past traumatic experiences. Your mind but also your body bears the consequences of those those things. Paul says one day we will have bodies that are not like that. They'll work as they're intended to. There won't be any more sleepless nights. No more panic attacks. No more unopened jars. Right now we have bodies that are led as well by natural sinful impulses. We see something that somebody else has and we want it. We long for it. We we can figure our life around the pursuit of what other people have or what other people have achieved. We see somebody else doing something better than us and we either want to do it better or we want them to fail. We see someone who's more loved than we are or more recognised than we are and we want to be them or we want them to be publicly shamed. We have bodies that are driven by natural sinful impulses but one day God says we'll have bodies that are directed perfectly by the Spirit of God. Our greatest delight will be not in ourselves but in God. Our greatest desire will be to see God glorified in others, not just in us. We'll see someone with something that we don't have and we will be overjoyed because they have that great gift. We'll see someone who can do something that we can't do, who can do it 10, 20, 30 times better than we can do it and we'll just be so excited. Isn't that wonderful that they can do that? We'll see someone who's more loved, more honoured than we are and will love and honour them as much as everybody else does. Our current bodies are marred by sin. But when we are raised from the dead, there'll be a correlation with this body. But it will be infinitely better. It will be glorious be imperishable, will be powerful, and it will be spiritual. Finally, in verse, uh, in the last uh, verses, Paul goes on to show another key aspect of the resurrection. And this last aspect is that we will be raised in the image of Jesus. So he said, look, if Jesus has been raised, we'll be raised, they go together. Our bodies will be correlated to their current bodies, but will also be glorious and imperishable. 
finally, our, these resurrection bodies will be like, uh, will be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 45, it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. So again, he's picking up, he's using this Adam-Christ parallel. And it's more than just a superficial similarity. It's more than just, oh, you know, there's kind of something similar about Adam and there's something a bit, a bit like that with Jesus. Uh, it's more than that. He says, just as natural life came through Adam, he was the, the first living man, just as we're all descended from him, just as life came through Adam, spirit-empowered, spirit-directed resurrection life comes through Jesus. Paul continues with that idea in verse 47 when he says, the first man was of the dust of the earth, is Adam, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, broken, distorted by sin. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven, imperishable, glorious, and so on. Uh, all of us, when we're born into this world, are born sharing the traits of Adam. We're born bearing the traits not just of Adam, but of our parents. And sometimes that's to our detriment. Sometimes our parents have short fuses, and that means that we grow up learning to live life with a short fuse as well. Uh, or our parents are driven by the wants and priorities of this life, uh, whatever they want, they buy, and so we grow up in an environment where that shapes us. Uh, we bear the image of our parents, we bear the image of Adam. We're born sinners. But when we come to Jesus, we're born again into a new family and into a new image. The Holy Spirit comes to us through faith and unites us with the person and work of Jesus. And we begin to take on the characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus did this great saving work in history, in his life, his death and his resurrection, that doesn't just remain out there for us to look at and to think, wow, isn't that great? We're united with it powerfully through the Holy Spirit who joins us with Jesus. And so as we're joined with Christ, his death begins to work out in our life putting to death the sins in us and his powerful resurrection life begins to work out in our life, bringing into us a great love for God, an obedience to God, a heart which desires the glory of God, a heart which loves those around us. Now that transformation into the image of Christ is not complete until Jesus returns. Paul talks about that here. He says, at the last trumpet we will be changed into the perfect image of Jesus. At the last trumpet, Paul says, God's people will be raised and changed in the twinkling of an eye. In Luther's German translation, at the last trombone, just saying. The last trombone, God's people will be raised and changed into the image of Jesus, will put on immortality. Death will be conquered. Why is that? It will be conquered because sin is conquered. And the two go together. 
You can't destroy death without destroying sin. Why is that? Paul says it's because the sting of death is sin. How does that help? It's confusing that in English the word sting can mean two different things. Like, ow, that stings. That's not what this is talking about. And then there's a thing that a bee has on its bottom. That's a sting. It's not talking about the pain of death is sin. No, it's rather the sting, the thing which causes the injury uh, is sin. Sin is the stinger of death. It's the thing that causes death to take hold of our life and to destroy us. There can be no life, there can be no defeat of death without first the defeat of sin. And so when Jesus returns, he not only brings with himself resurrection life, he doesn't just bring immortality, but he brings life, real life, that is, life without sin, life in the image of the beloved son, life lived to the glory of God. That's the life that he brings, not just living forever. Who wants to live forever in a world like this one? With all its brokenness and all its evil. No, the sting of death is sin and the victory of Christ is the end of sin. Well, what do we do with that knowledge? Paul tells us exactly what we're supposed to do with it in verse 48. He says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. Everything needs to be reevaluated in the light of eternity. And if that's true, then God says to you and to me that we need to stand firm in that truth and let nothing move us, not be pushed aside by anything. I don't know if you've ever played one of those games where, you know, you you have to stand your ground and people try and push you so that you lose your footing and you, and, you, and you move away from the spot where you're standing. You try with all your might to stand in this one place and not be moved by anything. And God says that's how we should live in the light of the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, stand firm. Don't let anything or anyone push you away from it. Don't let anything push you off course. Is something in danger of doing that? Is there something in your life that's in danger of pushing you away, of making you lose your foothold? Get rid of it. Be merciless. It's not worth eternity. It's not worth risking eternity. But God also says, don't just stand firm. Don't just stand there immobile. He says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. 
Stand and give. It doesn't say give yourself half-heartedly. He doesn't say give just a little bit. He doesn't say try and find a few spare moments in the edges of your life where you might be able to squeeze God in. He doesn't say just see what you can do. He doesn't say see how much time you can spare for God once you've done all the things that are on your heart to do. (laughs) We so often say, don't we? I've got to see if I can make time for God. Paul says, God says to us, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why is that? Because the resurrection is true. This life is fading away. And that life will last forever. Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You know, there are lots of fun things to do in this life. But none of them will last forever. I love gardening. It's a new hobby. I love being in the backyard, sprucing things up. I love all kinds of things, reading books, whatever it is. But you know, who cares? Great, sure, do it. But always, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord lasts forever. The resurrection is true, and it is, it changes everything. There's only one thing that matters, and that's eternity. Stand, stand firm, and give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, for the truth that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to life according to the scriptures and was seen by many witnesses. And Lord, we thank you that his powerful death for sins and his powerful resurrection to life changes everything about this world that we live in and changes everything about us and our purpose. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the light of that. Lord, to live in the light of that news. Not that we need to do anything, Lord, in order to earn our way to you, but we simply need to respond with faith to all that you've done, to take our stand and to give ourselves over to your plan and purpose for us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our distraction by all the small things that life contains. Lord, we need to do many of them, but Lord, we also want to confess that so often they dominate our existence uh, and we, we fix our eyes longingly on all that we can achieve and acquire in this world Lord, please forgive us for that and fix our eyes on eternity and resurrection life. Lord, not simply life like this, live forever, but life lived forever without sin to the glory of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.